This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, we're going to talk about Dana White saying the winner of Justin Gaethje versus Tony Ferguson may not fight Nurmagomedov next. He might do the rematch between Nurmagomedov and McGregor. We've got some audio from an interview that Robert Whitaker did talking about his burnout. Plus, there is a media rights battle happening between ESPN and people who carry their content. That is something to pay attention to. We'll get to all of that and more right here on the Luke Thomas Show, which airs every weekday at 3 p.m. East Coast time. And don't forget about the mailbag, Show at gmail.com. Fight Nation Channel 156. Here we go. Let me start the show with what I think is some pretty interesting news. I'm going to read this news to you, and I'm going to tell you why I understand it. That doesn't mean that I love it. Doesn't mean that this is my preferred outcome. In fact, it's not. It's definitely not. Um, But I understand why the UFC might be headed in this direction. So we all know the story. Fifth time they tried to make Khabib versus Ferguson at uh, April 18th. At uh, UFC 249, the whole thing fell apart. Global pandemic, blah, blah, blah. And here we are, heading into May 9th with Tony versus Justin. Okay. So that leaves Nurmagomedov a bit on ice, right? So you're thinking, well, okay, that might be the case, but they put an interim strap on the winner of Justin versus Tony. So interim strap versus guy with strap, right? Hold your horses. Uh, I guess this comes to us from MMA fighting, but uh, Dana White... Uh, is calling now Khabib versus Tony the fight that got away. He did a Reddit Q&A on Wednesday afternoon and asked how confident he is in seeing it in 2020. White wrote, not very. I'm afraid what will happen if we try to make that fight again. Um, when asked for a fresh rematch between the, t- the two, excuse me, let me back up a step here. Um, according to MMA Fighting, uh, Nurmagomedov has welcomed the idea of meeting the winner of UFC 249's main event. And White had previously said the winner will fight for the undisputed belt. But during that chat, White expressed more excitement at seeing a rematch between Nurmagomedov and Conor McGregor. Of course, we met at UFC 249, 229, excuse me, what was then the most lucrative and still is the pay-per-view in the promotion's history. Asked for a fresh rematch, White pitched Nurmagomedov versus McGregor too. Uh, I would have to say Conor versus Khabib, he wrote. Conor wants that rematch so bad. And I would love to see it. Now, you might be saying to yourself, now, wait a second, Luke. This seems a little bit odd. Didn't he just say not too long ago that he absolutely wanted to see this fight between Tony and Khabib happen? And the answer is yes, but let's see when that was. Uh, When he confirmed that the winner of Justin and, and Ferguson would get Khabib. He said that in April 25th, just what, five days ago? We'll fight Khabib in September or October. Um, this was, uh, I guess he did an Instagram session with ESPN at that time. And so now, five days later, uh, he's sort of expressing doubt on that it might happen. Okay. First of all, let me tell you why. Listen, I'm going to say it one more time. I don't love it. I don't think this is the best way to go. This is not my preferred outcome. None of those things. I am not suggesting that whatsoever. I am merely saying I sort of understand why they might. If if they go that direction, I sort of understand why. First things first, 
Remember what I said about the interim title? I think when Poirier won it uh, from beating Max Holloway, right? I was like, is he necessarily going to get the next title shot? And I had people I remember at the time who were like, yeah, of course he would get the next title shot. Why? They don't necessarily have to do that. The real value in the interim title is that the winner heading into that next bout just gets paid more. They might actually get the title shot, or as it appears now, they might not. This idea that because you hold the interim title, you've got the golden ticket from Willy Wonka. You're next. There's nothing they can take away from you. They can do whatever they want. They follow precedent the overwhelming majority of the time, but if they just need to cut a corner here or there, what's to stop them? It's literally their title. It's not the WBCs. It's not the IBOs. It's theirs. So if they want to do that, they can. The real value, as I said before, is people are like, oh, do we need an interim title? Do we not? Who cares, dude? The winner's going to get paid more. Like, yes, they should get paid more through other means, but they're not, so who cares? They're going to get paid more. Fine with me. To me, I will sleep fine at night knowing either Tony or Justin is making more money. Happy to see it. Now, of course, you would also want to see them rewarded with the title shot, but we just know that that's just not the way it's going to go necessarily. Now, why do I say I don't like it, but I really want to, uh, or I understand what they're coming from? I've said this before. The fight between Tony and Khabib, which, by the way, it may not even happen at this point. Let's say Justin wins. But let's assume Tony wins, right? You just keep saying to yourself, if you've tried it five times, why can't you just try it six? Like, what is the harm in just keeping this up? Especially, again, the whole reason why you had to try five times to begin with is because they forced your hand. If Tony wins again, in theory, he'd be forcing the UFC's hand to bring them together. Interim champ versus champ, the fight you wanted to make anyway, the fight that there's a ton of heat around, to potentially decide the best lightweight of all time. I mean, the, the stakes on this one are enormous. The history is so unique. Uh, I don't need to sell it to you. Everybody who is hearing my voice right now, you know what the value is. It's very, very clear. But there's two problems that I think the UFC is encountering. One, Connor wanted to have this sort of seasonal approach to 2020. And he wanted to have fought by now anyway. Now, who knows what the pandemic would have done, irrespective of Tony and Khabib getting involved. But the issue is everything has gotten pushed back and delayed. Everything that was supposed to happen on schedule is now off schedule. And you lost this one, and Connor probably can't get out of Ireland. By the time he comes back, they're going to want to expedite whatever the end goal of that timeline is, I suspect, a little bit now uh, towards the end of the year. Uh, we want to take these steps before we got to those steps. Okay, well, you lost all this time. And again, we're presuming a world where international travel on some level is, is allowed. They're just going to jump right to the end of that queue. Right, I suspect. That because you can't build in the way that you had wanted to before. So this natural timeline of progression, they're just going to have to leapfrog certain parts of that, I think, to get where they want it to go. Both the UFC and maybe Conor and his team. That's speculative, but it seems, based on what Dana is saying here, that that could be in play. The bigger part, though, is what we discussed yesterday. Really what we have been discussing since July of 2016 which is Endeavor paid a lot of money for the UFC. And the UFC is a very successful business. So, given their current dire straits, which we covered yesterday, where now they're going to go back to some of the partners that helped them purchase UFC, Silver Lake, to get a $250 million, essentially loan, for lack of a better description, investment, let's call it, 
and the $300 million dividend that was going to be split in half that the UFC took out and $150 million was going to go to Endeavor. And now that's not going to go to Endeavor. They're going to keep it inside UFC, which, by the way, makes sense, right? The UFC is a successful business that could ostensibly, in theory, run. Let's keep the money there so they can keep generating money. It only makes sense. But it has put it has put a certain crunch on Endeavor that is hard to overstate. They're going to lose a third of their employees. The ones who stay on are going to have massive pay cuts, up to 50% or more. Uh, and so on and so forth. They're gonna, I mean, it's going to be a it, that what they're what what most analysts are saying in the financial sector is that this is not uh, an existential crisis. Like, will Endeavor cease to exist or not? But that it will be massively uh, reformational in who they are. It will redefine the organization for a long period to come. They need help bad, and they're going to get it from UFC. But they need it. So why do I bring all this up? You lost your original timeline for how the year was supposed to go. You don't have any real contractual obligation to make the winner of Justin versus Tony fight Khabib. That might be the natural order of things, but you're not you're not bound by it. And more to the point, dude, <laughs> Connor versus Khabib 2, whatever you feel about it happening now, is going to generate an absolute ton of revenue. And we know it doesn't even really matter what it generates for May 9th for the UFC because they're going to get a cut no matter what. They get a check no matter what, a guaranteed purse no matter what, so to speak. But any amount that's sold on top of a certain threshold, they also get a cut of that. And remember, they're not going to be getting a cut from any kind of commercial establishment because, hello, the overwhelming majority of them are not open. (laughs) So here is my hunch. This is all my best guess. Between all the timelines getting screwed up, between the lack of obligation that they have to honor any kind of interim titles expectations, and the fact that they need to generate revenue fast, quick, and in heavy doses, what better way to do that than when some level of international travel restrictions are eased to put Connor and Khabib together again? It makes all the sense in the world, given those considerations. Given what you and I might want, we say to ourselves, well, wouldn't Khabib versus Tony make a lot of money? Sure. Probably. E- even through this situation where we've got 30 million Americans out of work. But not as much as Conor fighting. It, it just not, You can't say that it would be. The first time they fought was the biggest one in UFC MMA history. The second time would, would potentially be even bigger. Now, later on in the show, we're going to discuss, like, would they really have a fight with like, no one in the audience? Like, wouldn't that be super weird? Different discussion for a different part of the show. I'm merely saying... I can understand how they look at this and say, you know what, man? Screw it. We don't have time to waste with the natural progression of things. We are in extraordinary times. Who knows, by the way, when the next restriction might come down and shut everything down again? You got to strike while the iron is hot. So screw it. Get out there and do it. Now, he didn't say, Dana White, that there that's the matter of fact next fight. But here's what you know. There's nothing you have to wait on to make that fight happen. Khabib doesn't have a fight. Connor doesn't have a fight. Boom. You can just make it. You're not waiting on some kind of contingency for what else Connor is doing, whatever else Khabib is doing. All you need is for travel restrictions to be lifted. So, yeah, I sort of get it. I sort of get where they're at in all of this. UFC is running right now for any number of reasons that we discussed yesterday. They just believe in solutionism. They have their own views about the risk assessment as it relates to coronavirus. They want to make sure that they can stay in business to pay their employees. Any of those reasons you want to state 
could go into all of this. But a big one, a big one you just cannot escape is Endeavor is is struggling. They are on the struggle bus. And of all of Endeavor's assets, from the Bull Riding Championship to IMG to, what is it, Miss Universe, Miss America, whichever pageant they own, the one that is ready and willing and, and, and has government sanctioning at this point to go forward is the UFC. Well, the UFC does not have time to waste. They have to reach that threshold of 42 events to get the amount of money that they're owed. And on top of it, who knows when all this is just going to collapse again. They're just going to go for the biggest fish, probably not every time, but not, not in ways in which we are accustomed. And so I'll say this, you know, we'll see what happens. Maybe, maybe Dana White will go back on this in a week. He already changed this fast. But I would not be surprised if, A, they actually follow through with this. And I would also say, be prepared for more of this wonkiness where Dominic Cruz is coming in, is unranked, and hasn't fought in four years almost. Fuck it. Title shot. Just do it. Connor won one fight against a cowboy who, you know, had had indicated was not his best night. Uh, Screw it. Title shot right against Khabib. Just do the rematch. No worries. No no questions asked. They just might be in that kind of a space right now. So get ready for unusualness is what I would argue. This week on World of Basketball, European coaching legend and former San Antonio Spurs assistant coach Ettore Messina dropped by to talk about whether or not he's surprised by the immediate impact that Luka Doncic has had on the NBA. I thought he was going to be a good player in the NBA, honestly. I could not ever imagine that he could have had such an impact right off the bat in terms of producing triple doubles like, you know, peanuts. I think that the, the key thing in his career has been the coach Carlisle gave him the ball and put him at the point guard. New episodes of World of Basketball are available every Thursday on the Sirius XM app and Pandora. All right, we're back. Luke Thomas show. Hope you're doing well. Let's get to what we have here. Which is, Cobb pulled this audio from, what you call it, from uh, Robert Whitaker. I guess he spoke to ESPN's Ariel Holwani. And uh, about, that, there was that Telegraph piece that came out, right? Where he was like, uh, you know, I was burned out and my kids are fine and blah, blah, blah. So he eventually spoke out about it. And as I said before, and I'll say again, like, I totally, the, the, the act, or the, I should say not the act, but the argument of saying I was completely burned out is so in keeping with what MMA fighters say all the time that I know. And it's, it, I, I would be surprised if it doesn't happen. I mean, I don't, honestly, I said this before, dude, I don't know how Adesanya avoids it. Plus he avoids injury. Like Rob couldn't avoid that. Even Rob got hit with, you know, rib injury, this and hernia, that and blah, blah, blah. Adesanya is some kind of unicorn, man, where he's able to just, it seems like avoid burnout and injury, at least for now. You know, we'll see how long that lasts, but it's, it's, I mean, he does so much media. He does so many things. Um, and everybody who gets, you don't see it necessarily as much, I should say, at non-championship levels. It appears to be very acute at championship levels. And think about what it does to people, right? I mean, Ronda Rousey got burned out, not really from training, but from the, from the, what do you want to call it? The trappings of celebrity where you have to do all this media and you have to do all this other stuff and people are always coming up to you and they're always wanting a piece of your time. You know what? People get mad at her and stuff, and I'm not saying she handled it with grace, but some people are built for it and some are not. And I think over time she realized she wasn't really built for it, and so now she wants to withdraw. 
It's the right call, dude. It's the right call. Some people are, you know, celebrity is a hard thing. Not that I have great experience with it, but you just look at how many people struggle with it. We can only, one can only assume that it's very, very difficult. And uh, yes, we're not talking about the same level of celebrity that Ronda had, but between the training and everything else, Luke Rockhold getting burned out and full of injuries as well. Although now he's talking about coming back, all this stuff appears to be cyclical to a degree, but you get the idea. I mean, I had Tom Lawler, not a championship level UFC fighter, but I told you, uh, I think I said this on Morning Combat. I remember one time he said he was so burned out and didn't realize it that one day he went to go do weight training and like pulled the barbell off of the rack to go do whatever he was doing, a press out or whatever he was, and uh, just put the weight back down, got back into his car, and then just started bawling, crying. And, it, and in the moment there, he didn't know why, but then he pieced it all together and he was so burned out. He was so overtrained. He was so just in the weeds that his body and his mind just quit on him and gave out all at once. I mean, it's not healthy, you know? Uh, and understanding how to balance training and do it the right way, is, it must be very difficult because even the best ones are having trouble with it. That's when you know. It's like, dude, if the very best ones are struggling with it, then you know it's a problem, man. So let's hear some of this audio and then we'll react to it here in real time, knowing that what we have here. And look, standard disclaimer, anytime a fighter says something, I'm not saying to not believe it. I'm just saying a lot of times they'll say things to protect people, including themselves and others. It may not necessarily be the truth, but it, what Rob is saying here, it just rings so true that I don't know how it couldn't be. But, you know, just a standard disclaimer, nothing in particular about this one. All right. He says every fighter feels burned out. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. Let's hear it. Everybody's been there. You just reach a point where you get where you get tired and you don't have that that thing in there that, that makes you push that take that one extra step. And uh, I know what that is. I think all good fighters know what that is. And I had to have a look. I had I had to just take a step back. I had to look at everything I'm doing. And you know, there was a, a crossword, if you would like. If if this is what I wanted to do. Did I lose the spark for fighting or did, or is there another reason? And after having a holiday and just unwinding and relaxing and playing tons of video games, spending tons of time with my kids, I, I realized it, it wasn't, it wasn't a lack of the fight. It was just, I just needed to change a couple of things. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt that what he is saying there sounds so absolutely true. I mean, a lot of times I don't know exactly when his kids were born relative to the different parts in his career, like when he went to welterweight to middleweight or whatever. But I can tell you for me, it's like, you know, when I first had my kid, I was really nervous about making changes in my life. I was ready to have a kid, but I was like, you know, you get, I didn't have a kid so I was what, 38, 39. So, you know, I was pretty stuck in my ways. And now that the kid's here, I have a whole new set of priorities about what I literally want to do. Before, I was worried about giving things up. Now, yeah, there's some other things. You know, of course, if I had all the time in the world, I might do some things differently. But I don't feel like I'm giving up something else I'd rather be doing when I spend time with my kid. If that makes sense. Now, obviously, that comes to a point. I've been watching the kid all day, and I just want to relax and, I don't know, read a book or something. Yeah, it's a little different. But in general, you get the idea. When I'm with my child... There's not other things I'd rather be doing. That's the thing I'd rather be doing. And that kind of snuck up on me once the kid was born. I was worried that that was going to be the case. And it, it, it just wasn't. And so, for a guy like that who's very career-driven, very, you know, very career-oriented, obviously because you need to be to be successful at a high level in that sport, 
I'm sure he had some uh, ways he spent his time and some aspirations and professional goals and that required living a certain way. And then at some point you realize it's not the way you want to be living. Plus, there's the other part here he sort of alludes to, which is, dude just needed a mental health break. Like, if you're just working out and training all the time, there's a part in your life where I feel like you can do that, certainly in your 20s, and especially if you don't have kids. But once you get a little bit older and you start to have kids, you have to have a degree of balance. It sounds obvious, but you have to have a degree of balance in your life. And that balance is going to be a little bit different for everyone. But, you know, I always talk about, I don't know much about MMA training. I know a little bit about weight training. And one of the keys to weight training is, dude, you have to have enough water and you got to get enough sleep. Like sleep is a critical component to muscle development. Why do I bring that up? Because a lot of people are like, I'm just going to train, 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 train. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to read all night about training methodologies and I'm going to blah, 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 blah. A big part of it, they say is, you know, sleep like a college kid. They don't want you to be lazy exactly, but. A little bit is just relax, unwind, let your body heal, and then get after it at the right time tomorrow. There's a maximum amount of volume you can train at for uh, an effective level. Do that, but then no more. And I think a lot of fighters, in terms of the overall depth of the, because they have to do so many things, right? They lose sight of that. They lose track of what that maximum, you know, effective volume is, and so then everything gets messed up. It's, a, it's an interesting situation that they find themselves in. All right, what does he say here? Uh, let's see. He says, yeah, he just talked about needing to take a break. Let's see. Let's hear this old ditty. It's loading. All those thoughts are going through my head, and I was just feeling burnt out. I was feeling burnt out. You know, and when, when you're feeling burnt out or run down or, or anything else, you want to just spend time with those you care the most about you, which is my family. So um, I, 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 told, I told the team, which I love, I told my coaches, I, I just need to take a step back. I need to spend some time with my family. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be back when I'm back. And that, 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 that's the big thing, honestly, though, because um, not giving yourself a date to come back or giving yourself a, a mandatory requirement to come back. That's, that's the load that, that got taken off when, when I did that because I didn't know if I would come back. You know, so I, I was able to free that mind space up to truly try and think about what, what it is I wanted to do. Boy, that sounds exactly right. You know, I'm not any kind of a sports psychologist or psychologist in general or somebody who understands the rigors of what these guys go through in the, in the direct way that they do, but not having a, okay, you got to come back in two weeks. You know, this is obviously a very different situation, but I remember the, one of the best bosses I ever had, I had when my mom passed away. And I remember that when she passed, he said, come back when you're ready. Now, of course, <laughs> after two weeks, he's like, hey, how you feel about coming back? You know, you know, they want to know when you're going to get back. But, but he didn't demand it. He didn't demand it. And he knew it was going to take time for me to like, just get my head around, um, you know, what I needed to do and where I needed to be. So uh, that's right. When you have these situations where you've reached the end run of something, where you can do no more with it, when you just need to rest, the rest will dictate when you come back, not the date on the calendar. Yeah? When, when the rest is done, the rest is done. And that could be a day, it could be a week, hell, it could even be a month, depending on what the person is doing. But a committed professional like Rob, probably if he gets enough rest, 
this is the interesting part about it. I bet if he gets enough rest and time, and I don't mean just literally kicking his feet up, but I mean like, you know, time with the family, that kind of thing. I bet when he comes back, he'll be supercharged, ready to go. That's the key here. Take two steps. In order to take two steps forward, take a step back. Take a step back. It's not, it's these old dumb cliches that your, you know, your parents tell you. Older you get, you're like, you know what? Mom and dad were nerds, but they weren't wrong about it. All right. Uh, by the way, this is the part he gets to about his kids. He says they're fine. And so just to be clear, your kids are okay. No one needed any Every, kind of surgery, uh, replacement, anything like that. No, everyone is good. Everyone is good. So when this all happened, when this was coming out, uh, why didn't you refute any of it or at least clear up like, hey, my family's okay. I, I just need some time for myself because it, it lasted several weeks where people thought that one of your children <laughs> were really sick. I um so when I went on break, I, I I went off all socials and went off everything. So I went I went under the radar properly. It it wasn't I didn't find out about the the weird rumors until um my mother in law saw it on the news. Like it was just going everywhere. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. What's going on? And then I jumped on it, and it just things were going everywhere. I had a hundred mis- uh, messages. So I, I I did put that I put that post up like, don't believe in the rumors. Mm. Like we're good. Uh, and then went back off it because I, I don't want to, you can't have a break with one foot in still. That's not how it works. You know, and if, and if um, just like I, I couldn't have had a break if I was still training, if I was still like in the gym hustling, like uh, I, it doesn't work that way. I needed a really, I wasn't like a, a soul searching holiday break time out. So, you know, I, I had to, I had, that had all my focus at the, at the, at the, at that time. Uh, I understand that. I, my last vacation, I worked, and I'm, you know, a part of me is glad that I worked because I got things done that I wanted to get done. And now, on the other hand, I I never really got proper rest, and here we are. I'm stuck at home all the day, all the time. Like this is probably why I'm eating too much ice cream. <laughs> to make it a very mundane example of something more serious that he was dealing with, but a lot of the discussion about Robert Whitaker is, oh, he's going to be happier doing this, or. He won't be as burned out doing this. And I think all those things are true, right? Spending more time with the family, kids, however he allots that that time. But that's going to have competitive, I think potentially beneficial results as well. It's going to have implications for him as a fighter. It's going to have implications for him as somebody who needs, you know, this. he's not, he might be doing it for all kinds of reasons, personal, perhaps first and foremost, but that's not the only reason why he's doing it. He's also doing it, I think, uh, or, he, or rather, he might be doing it for those reasons primarily. But I think if you're happier and you're healthier and you're in a better mental space, you're going to be better at training. Again, I think you can do the burn the candle at both ends thing for a little while. I really do believe that. But I think at some point, the whole the whole apparatus comes crashing down. And then at that point, you have to ask yourself what you're doing. So it's not that you cannot just like, oh, you can all, you always have to make time for blah, 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 blah. I think there's a time where you can kind of get away with it, but eventually it's not sustainable. And that's the, that's the point here. He reached the point where it was no longer a sustainable kind of practice that he was engaged in. Um, by the way, so let's get into it now. This is an interesting question. Did he ever think he was not going to come back to fighting? Let's hear that one. You know, that obviously that's terrifying because this is what I do for a living. 
So, and, uh, but I'm smart enough to know that if you don't have that, if you don't have that love, if you don't have that fire in you, you shouldn't be fighting because it's too dangerous and the toll is too high. Um, so there, there is definitely concern because if that love's not there and I'm not going to fight, then I'm going to have to go get another job. Mm. <laughs> and let me tell you, my friend, I'm not, I'm not very good at much else. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, you know, there, there, there's concerns, but after a few weeks, I, I quickly realized that wasn't the case. Yeah. I mean, when you're so burned out, you can't get out of your own way. Yeah. You might actually wrestle with those ideas, but that's the whole point. You give yourself time off. You feel rejuvenated. Your mind clears, your interest re reopens and you feel ready to get back to it. Sustainability is the key to anything in life. How do you do it such that you can keep doing it? How do you do it such that you can do it over the long term? All of the best results in life come over the long term. So what practices can you institute to do that in such a way? That's the key to figuring it all out. And a lot of fighters get it wrong. They go way too far too early and then they have to dial it all back and then sometimes everything gets lost. So he seems like he's, first of all, happy. And he seems like he's got his head screwed on right. So the good news here is that I'm expecting if anybody can make that kind of rebound that they need to from a recalibration, let's say, it'll be him. But but yeah, dude, I can totally understand. There's been times I've been burned out on MMA too. I was burning the... Again, there was a time, dude, when this was all I did every single day. Oh, I missed fights in Japan for Smack Girl 4. Let me go back and watch them all. And it ha I'm not saying it didn't have a benefit. And I'm not saying I, I I wouldn't do things necessarily differently, but you can't do it over the long term. It's not it's not possible. You're just gonna start hating everything. Um, would he have stepped back from the sport if he ha if he had beaten Izzy? Now, isn't that the question of all questions, right? You 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 if you had if you had won at UFC, what was it? Two forty eight was that the one? Two forty seven, six, four, five. I don't even remember anymore. Three, two. Right, what, what, what what was it at this point? Cobb, do you remember? I'm looking it up now. How could, uh, 244 was the BMF. Was it 245? God, I can't. 243. 243. What was 245? The one before Connor and, and uh, McGregor, uh, Connor and um, Cowboy. Dude, I can never. It's amazing. 245 was Usman, Covington, Holloway, Volkanovski. Ha, that's right. Okay. All right. Anyway, back to this audio. So what would he have done if he'd actually won? Because he lost, which forced him to reset. What would he have done if he had won? It's loading. Honestly, I think it would have been like putting a Band-Aid on no, a knife wound. I think it would have happened. I just think the fallout would have been bigger. I think the loss forced me to confront all of this. Whereas if I won, I think I would have just like closed my eyes and, and, and just got through it. I completely believe that. Losses hurt and they're awful and they're terrible, but they force, and I don't mean just losses in a professional like fighting context, but anything you've ever tried in your life that didn't go right, and Lord knows I've had a few of those. Um, how do I say this? They're so painful that you just stew over them more. Like success, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's easy on the mind, right? When things are going right, you just assume you've got it all figured out. And when they're going wrong, 
you assume that some, something something didn't connect here. What was that? What was the thing that didn't connect here? Um, and so for him, it, it hastened a much more mature response quicker than ordinary. I'm glad to hear that, man. Rob sounds like a smart guy, you know, sounds like a smart guy. He's got his head, he's got his head in the right place and he understands himself and he understands the challenges that he's got in front of him and he understands a lot. It's really good. So I'm not going to say I'm happy that Rob lost, but if losing for Rob meant a quicker reconciliation with this larger challenge in his life, and it means he can get back to a competitive space where he can, you know, maybe train at a more sustainable level, and he's already got all of this wisdom built up, and it makes him f for a more formidable challenge going into the future. I'm not going to say it's a good thing, but I'm not going to say it's the worst thing in the world either. Right? I'm not going to say, oh, it's so terrible that this all happened. Maybe it's not all that terrible that it happened. Maybe it's actually pretty good. Maybe it's better that it happened this way. Then, then he's, he's literally telling you it's better that it happened this way. You know? It sucks that no one wants a loss. No one wants a setback. No one wants any of this stuff. But at the same time, I don't know. Maybe you need it at times. All right. And last but not least, where, oh, God. Smart of me to click out of the folder with all the audio in it. That was very, very smart of me. I'm a very, very smart person, as you can tell. All right. Let me hear this one. And last but not least, um, he says, how much did the thoughts... Um, about being burned out affect his performance with Izzy? Like, to what extent did it derail him heading into the fight? I suspect he's not going to want to make excuses, so let's hear. People have been talking about this a lot. Like, they, they say, oh, before the fight, you were saying you were the best ever. It's because before the fight, I can't allow doubts into my head. I have to, if I'm bleeding from my leg, I have to say I'm perfect mm. because I have to believe in that. Once you start letting doubts or insidious thoughts go through your head, you've already lost. You've already lost. Um, in terms of like my physical health, that was the best I've ever been. But I think just in the, just in the way we, we did the lead up, just in, in the way like my, my head was, maybe not. You know, who knows? Uh, but it is what it is. That, that's, I arrived on the night how I, how I did. I felt great. And I just didn't fight very well. And, you know, and I lost. I don't have any problem with that answer. Cobb, you heard that answer. You got any issue with how he handled that? It sounds to me like, look, was I at my best? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. But you know what? I showed up. I had a chance. I didn't win. That's that. Yeah, you know what else made me laugh about it too? How many times have we said on the show, listen, fighters lie because they kind of have to. It's, right. He pretty much talked about that exactly. He's, lit he's literally he saying, leading. Yeah, he's saying if you don't lie to yourself, you've already lost. Yeah, like him saying, like, yeah, dude, my leg's bleeding. I got to tell you, I'm perfect. Yeah, this is what we mean when we say fighters lie. It literally, they have to do it for their own mindset and to make sure they're not letting up any weaknesses get by so that their opponents might hear and go, oh, okay. Oh, your knee hurts. Great. Like, I'm just going to attack that knee. Um, but yeah, he's, I, that's why I was really, I really enjoyed this interview because I thought Rob just seems, like you said, like a real smart guy. I, I love guys who are very, like, self-reflective uh, and can kind of, accurately give you their thoughts and i thought this was a pretty candid interview that he did this is one of those times where i hear an interview and i think wow he actually sounds like he's being honest here you know and again who knows who what he might be protecting who knows but the best interviews in mma are the ones that come off as the most not genuine per se but when you just know they're not they don't have anything to hide anymore 
Because this is the problem with Fight Week. They have everything to hide. That's why I can't stand talking to them on Fight Week. Such a worthless exercise. Not worthless. That's not true. It's just an uncertain exercise. Getting them after a loss when, they've, when they're chilled out, that's really when you start getting the real reflective moments. That's what you hear with Rob here. I was, it's a great interview, actually. I'm really glad to hear it. So, And, uh, and this I said it before, man. Even before hearing this, I was like, dude, Rob and Izzy are going to meet again. Don't be fooled. And, and who knows how it might be the next time. Izzy is going to get you know, all the celebrity and all this fame and all this attention. We'll see how he handles it. So far, he's handled like an unbelievable champ. Um, but, you know, the trappings of that get even the best of people. And then Rob's on the other side of it. Who knows how the fortunes might change going forward. It's going to be really interesting to see. All right. With that in mind, I want to talk about a bit of a media rights battle that's happening. You know how, like, DAZN was like, yo, we're not paying y'all anything? Well, turns out they might not be the only ones. Luke Thomas Show, coming right back. The Ock and Barack Show. It's either make the big fights happen, fighters take less money, or stand their ground and wait till we get to a point where their audiences. That might not happen for another year. The big fighters, like AJ, like Canelo, all of these big names, are they willing to wait a year without fighting? Can the networks deal with that? Can the promoters deal with that? And eventually it's going to come down to the point where you either take it or you leave it. There's no more money for you to get. The Ock and Barack Show, weekdays from noon till 3 Eastern, only on Sirius XM Fight Nation, Channel 156. Luke Thomas Show, we're back. At MMA on SiriusXM on Twitter, LukeThomasShow at gmail.com. For the time being, I wanted to get to this. So you guys remember this story. It was, it, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't, when I did this story before, I did not present it to you to be like, oh, the most interesting story in the world. But it was one of those canary in the coal mine stories where you're like, okay, this one is not that big a deal and I can't get people interested in it. But if this trend that this story is talking about keeps up, well, now you're going to be into a whole different universe. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. Remember DAZN. They said, look, if you sports organizations are not going to be producing content, we're just not going to pay you. We're just not going to pay you. We're not going to give you any money. Like nothing given, nothing given. Right? You don't give us content, we're not going to give you money. And that was seen as a potentially risky move by DAZN because they've got no, they want to be a part of the negotiations when the major rights come up for NBA and everybody else. And I was thinking to myself, huh, that's interesting because no one else had done that yet. You're like, well, that's a stupid move by DAZN. Is it? Listen to this. For the New York Post, DISH, DISH Network, seeks to stiff ESPN out of fees during sports moratorium. Charlie Ergen's satellite TV company Dish Network is picking a fight with Disney over the millions of dollars it pays for ESPN programming at a time when there are no sporting events, the Post has learned. Dish Network is the nation's fourth largest TV provider, and they want to get out of an $80 million to $100 million in fees it's supposed to pay ESPN for April broadcasting rights. The fees are due at the end of every month, and Dish has told ESPN that it plans to use that money instead to lower the monthly bills of its roughly 12 million subscribers. Quote, Charlie Ergen is trying to get out of the ESPN contract by claiming force majeure. A second source told ESPN referring to a contract clause that frees the parties from obligations due to extraordinary events. Now, Disney's ESPN has apparently rebuffed the request, the second source said, but it's unclear whether it will be able to enforce the payment. In addition, ESPN could soon be deluged with demands for discounts, according to analyst Rich Greenfield. Quote, U.S. multi-channel video subscribers effectively paid ESPN $650 million in April to watch one original series 
with literally no live sports on TV or for their talk show hosts to even talk about. Uh, he's from uh, Lights, Light Shed Partners. The multi-billion dollar question becomes, what is stopping distributors from invoking force majeure? We believe there has to be a tipping point where enough sports have not occurred that distributors will refuse to pay sports network programmers. Greenfield, in his note, said he's heard multiple multi-channel video subscribers have been trying to wiggle out of their April affiliate feast at ESPN without revealing the names. Dish, which declined to comment, has the most TV subscribers after Xfinity, DirecTV, and Spectrum. Uh, while the next steps are unclear, it is evident that Disney and ESPN expect to collect their $10 a month from the 80-plus million, million subscribers, regardless of when sports content comes back, even if that does not occur until late summer at best. Not a good look for the Walt Disney Company. This should make for some very interesting Q1 2020 earnings calls this week ahead. Now remember, Disney's already closed its theme park. It slowed film production due to the coronavirus. Um, slammed the brakes on sporting events. It's furloughed tens of thousands of park workers. Implemented pay cuts for executives. And, uh, and more. ESPN has cut executive pay 20 to 30% and has asked 100 of its highest paid commentators to accept a 15% pay cut over the next three months. Okay, force majeure is very, very interesting. My wife is dealing with this right now as a meeting planner because you can imagine, why would you hold events when you can't hold events? Like, you, you got these contracts with convention centers and hotels. What are you supposed to do with it if you can't actually be there? Because, hello, you have this once-in-a-century pandemic. So my wife is sort of knee-deep in the situation here. Dude, can you believe the chutzpah of ESPN to be collecting $700 million dollars? And the only thing your dumbass is airing is e UFC reruns, Duke from their run in the 80s, and then The Last Dance. And don't get me wrong, man. I like The Last Dance as much as the next guy. We talk about it every Monday on the show. But holy jeebus, it's not sustainable. Here's probably, Cobb, another reason why ESPN is not really asking a lot of questions about the UFC and whether or not what they're doing is really and truly safe. Because, dude, they need it. They need this content badly. You're gonna, I don't know that it's going to convert a lot of people to being UFC fans, but it might just be enough to get people to and, the, and, these, and, and Dish and whoever else to stop complaining because now you finally have free content. It is amazing, dude. These deals are worth so much money between these super significant companies. And I'm not here to say that this disrupting force in our life is not that big a deal. It certainly is. But it is amazing how much all of these arrangements can collapse on themselves if they just can't keep the train on the tracks. Very, very interesting. So I honestly, I'll be, I'll, you know, I think Dish has a case to be quite honest with you. What are we paying for? What are we, what are we paying you for? We're paying you for Last Dance and Stephen A. Smith. That's what we're paying you for. We're paying you for Will Kane. No, we're paying you for sports. Get after it. How, how are? I mean, I, again, whatever the contract states is ultimately what matters in the end. But just from a give and take standpoint and I, you could say oh, I, don't, I don't even blame UFC because of the coronavirus or not UFC I'm sorry ESPN yeah fine they didn't invent the coronavirus they're a victim of this as much as anybody else okay I get it no worries but either you can deliver on what is being promised or you can't and the the even even if the terms of the contract state differently and again I'll leave that up to the lawyers the spirit of all of these deals clearly is that you deliver on what you say you're going to deliver on that's what it means. That's what that's about. The spirit of the deal is you give us content, we'll pay for it. 
And not just any old content, not reruns from March Madness in the 80s. No, no, fresh content. And if you can't deliver that, however much that is or is not your fault, we have a conversation that needs to be had. I remember the CNBC analyst we had on the show talking about this. The chain all the way down of who gets affected here and how the whole thing gets disrupted, that's all very interconnected. So if one thing goes away, the implications for all the other parties in that supply chain is significant. And now those chickens are coming home to roost. And it's ugly. It is ugly. It is not great. But here we are, man. This is a story, not just so much with Dish. Keep your eye on this. If this thing keeps going, and maybe UFC will be a lifeline for ESPN, we'll have to see. But pay attention to this story because this cannot last. It cannot last that this kind of thing continues. So keep your eyes peeled. Thanks for listening. Catch The Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at L. Thomas News and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.